All right, take your Bibles this morning. Go to John chapter 19, please. We are continuing through our study in the gospel according to John. It isn't John's gospel, but it is the Lord's gospel. And this is the account of the Lord's gospel that the Holy Spirit inspired John to pin down. So we are now in the portion of John where Jesus offers Himself a ransom for many. Now I don't know about you, but for me personally, I have been blessed by refocusing on these events surrounding the cross. I think sometimes we become so familiar with things that as we read through the Bible, we do so quickly. And it's been good for me to just kind of study these things afresh and see what God has been showing me anyhow. And I hope you're enjoying it as well. But remember last week, we considered the two malefactors who were crucified, one on each side of Christ. One wanted Jesus to get him down from the cross so that his physical position in life could improve. Lord, save yourself, but save me in the process. Get me down from the cross as well. But then there was another who realized that his need, even though he was on the cross, went far deeper than any physical need. Amen. He had a spiritual need. He didn't say, Lord, save yourself and get me off of here too. He said, Lord, remember me when thou enterest thy kingdom. Jesus turned and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. What a blessing to know that as soon as we call upon the Lord, He'll he'll save. And the thief on the cross blows up so many doctrines. He didn't work for it. There was not a scale awaiting him after death to see if he did enough good to outweigh his bad. I can just go ahead and tell you, for all of us, your bad's going to outweigh your good. And he couldn't be baptized for his salvation. It's hard to be dunked when you're nailed to a cross. And yet, we'll see him in glory. (laughs) What a blessing, the grace of God. How rich and free. Well, if you missed last week, we covered a lot. So go back and listen if you would, please. I'd appreciate that. But for today, let's begin by reading three verses in John chapter 19. We'll read verses 25 through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. So we find here that there were some standing by the cross, as we know most had defected. But there are some there this day, and I think it's great that we find these women at the cross. If you read the other accounts, I believe it's in Luke, it says there were many women who were present that day. And for me personally, I get tired of hearing how Christianity and the Bible somehow suppresses women. It's a lie. If anything, the Bible and Christianity elevates women. And we see these women are given an eternal acknowledgement as being the ones who were bold enough, brave enough to be there as followers of Christ when everyone else was forsaking Jesus. These women are a rebuke to the men. Peter had boasted he would never forsake Jesus, but where is he at now? And the fact is, many times you'll find a wife who is far more spiritual than her husband. And their wife 
is to be a rebuke to that husband. Men, the Bible says you're called by God to lead your home. You're to be the head. I can tell you that early on in our marriage, it was flip-flopped. We arrived in Korea in 98, and my wife said, I'm going to church with or without you. I said, I don't know who you think you are, sweet thing, but you ain't going without me. I'll make the decisions around. We're going to church. (laughs) And we did. Her tenacity spiritually was a rebuke to me, and it worked. Because she was spiritual, ladies, get this, because she is spiritual, when the time came that I got my heart right and started to lead, she was willing to let me do so. It wasn't that I was smarter than her. It wasn't that I was all of a sudden more spiritual than her. But there is a biblical order that we are to follow. I do not endorse the feminization of Christianity. But the fact is this, if men a generation or two ago wouldn't have taken a step back, and if they had fulfilled their God-given roles, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today. There's been a monumental shift. I don't know if it was in my lifetime or before, but certainly you can see it. There's been a monumental shift within Christianity. And it's to the point in some circles that I don't see how in the world it's ever going to be recovered. We've now come to the place where godly manliness in the church house is somehow taboo. In fact, our culture today would have you to believe that it's a sin to be a man, much less to be the leader of your family. But God's Word hasn't changed on the issue. It's the same. I thank God for godly women. But men, if your wife is the spiritual leader in your home, that should be a rebuke to you to step up. And ladies, once your husband steps up, yield to his leadership. Well, praise the Lord. This is not a family conference, so we'll leave it there. Amen? Aren't you glad? You could cut the tension with a knife sometimes. Man, I wish God had called me to preach. No, you don't. (laughs) Well, we see in verse 25 that there are four women present. I don't know if there's a message in this, but what I find interesting is there's four soldiers and there's four women. If there is a message there, the Holy Spirit didn't give give it to me. But I think it's an interesting side note to ponder, and I'm sure Breck will have something prepared for us next time. (laughs) Now, as I set out to study this, I don't know how y'all are when it comes to trying to decipher all the Marys in the Bible, but I find it very difficult. Um, I'm not as smart as most, and I just had a hard time figuring all this out. And Luke mentions that women were present, but he doesn't name any names. Matthew and Mark, they mention three women being present, and they name some of those women. In Matthew and Mark, uh, we find Mary Magdalene was there, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Mark, Mark will call this James, James the Less. Matthew says the mother of Zebedee's children was present. Mark says Salome, who was the wife of Zebedee, and therefore the mother of James and John, and therefore the same person. <laughs> We're having fun already, amen. Uh, John mentions four women. Mary, Jesus' mother, and then her sister, which would seem to be Salome. I don't know, but that's the most common thought. Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and then finally Mary Magdalene. So if I'm thinking straight, then those who are specifically mentioned are Mary, the mother of Jesus, Salome, the mother of James and John, who is possibly the sister to Mary and therefore Jesus' aunt. Three, Mary the mother of James the less and Joseph. And four, 
Mary the wife of Cleophas, and five, Mary Magdalene. Now, some have suggested that Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary the mother of James the Less and Joseph are, the, are one and the same. And there is room for that thought without there being a contradiction across these gospel accounts, but we don't really know. But if that is true, then there are, in fact, only four uh, mentioned here across all the gospel accounts. And if we dig any deeper into the speculations, we'll get in the weeds real quick, and I don't know about you, but I'm already confused on what it is I'm trying to say. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. We're just going to focus on these women and John. Amen. Well, why didn't you just say that from the beginning? I don't know. Amen. Now, of these four, we know the least about Mary, the wife of Cleophas. There is a Cleopas mentioned in Luke 24. His name is spelled just slightly different. He doesn't have the H in his name over there, but it could be they are the same man. And if so, Cleopas is one of the two who were traveling back to Emmaus from Jerusalem after the crucifixion. And you'll remember the resurrected Lord showed up beside them, and Jesus begins to expound unto them all the Scriptures concerning Himself. It mentions Cleophas was walking with someone. It could be that it was his wife. It could be it's this same Cleophas, and that it's Mary, the wife of Cleophas. I don't know. Since we don't know, let's move on. We know there's one present at the cross who is called the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. This sister to Mary, the mother of Jesus, is most commonly believed to be Salome. As I mentioned, Mark calls her by name. If this is true, then not only is Jesus' mom there, but his aunt's there, and she's the wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, and she would have known Jesus while he was growing up. Isn't that an interesting thought? She would have known him as a carpenter's son and later on as a carpenter. But her life was drastically changed by this same Jesus. Her family ran a fishing operation and at a minimum the business would have been greatly reduced when Jesus called two of her strong men into the ministry. Jesus comes up along the Sea of Galilee, but this day He comes and He sounds a little bit different. And with a heavenly authority, he walks up to these men and he says, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. And you can imagine that there would have been an instant change in the family business as a result of this. Maybe they had some financial difficulties there for a stretch until they could get all that ironed out. But you know what? We never find her complaining. You never find Salome complaining that God had called her two sons into the ministry. In fact, what you'll find from her is that she comes to Jesus later on and she asks Jesus, would you allow my two boys to sit on either side of you in your kingdom? Now, she didn't understand what she was asking. But Jesus, He corrected her. But listen, this is why she was such a great woman. Because... She received Jesus' rebuke in love. You know, some women today, if you try to say something to them, they're going to just get mad and leave. And people don't like to be corrected. And yet, here's this woman, and she's asking Jesus this great request. She cares for her children. I mean, there's a lot we could get into there. And yet, Jesus says, no, 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 that's not right. And, and He corrects her, and she doesn't get upset. She doesn't get offended, but she just stays with Jesus. And here she is at the, at the foot of the cross. What a great woman. As she's an example of how we ought to receive rebuke and correction by those in authority. 
Next, there was also Mary Magdalene. She was called Magdalene to distinguish her from the other Marys. <laughs> Amen. That helps. So we got to start calling all of our mics something to distinguish them from the other mics. We got Mike H, Mike P, Mike S, Mike H, Mike... How many am I missing here? C, Mike... Uh, a, B, C, D, E. Amen. And, and so to distinguish this Mary, they called her Magdalene. Many people believe it's because she was from the town Magdala. That's pretty original. Amen. You can call me Box Elder. And so they probably she was from Magdalene. That's why they called her this. But listen, she was all kinds of messed up when Jesus found her. She was the one that had seven evil spirits inside of her. And they were cast out. And she never forgot what it was like being possessed by seven demons. But more importantly, she had never forgot how Jesus had healed her and given her a new life. One day, Jesus was at a Pharisee's house named Simon. And Jesus said to him, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon replied, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. You see, Mary Magdalene understood how much she had been forgiven by God. And as a result, she deeply loved Jesus. How could she ever forget that this man named Jesus was more than just a man. She knew He was her Savior. And because of her love for Christ, she's now standing at the cross on crucifixion day. And guess who Jesus is going to show Himself to first after He resurrects? Mary Magdalene. What an amazing woman. Finally, and perhaps most heartbreaking, we see that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was present at the cross. Certainly, we would expect her to be there. Any parent can understand that. But just imagine what she was going through. She's the one who, as a virgin, labored to bring the only begotten Son of God into the world. She raised Him to maturity. She rocked Him to sleep at night. She changed His diaper. She wiped His nose. She picked him up when he fell. She cooked his meals. And who knows, it could be she supplied some or all of the clothes that Jesus wore that were being gambled over. Just think about that. Imagine the pain Mary must have been going through during all of this. But I want us to go back 33 and a half years, eight days after Jesus was born, and Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to be circumcised. And they are also offering a sacrifice. And there was a man there named Simeon. Simeon had been told by God that he wasn't going to die until he saw the Christ. And he comes in and he picks up Jesus in his arms. And he says, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. And then Simeon, he turns to Mary and he says, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. And now on this day of crucifixion, she has to look upon her son who has been disfigured from the scourging. She sees the crown of thorns on his brow and she 
sees all the blood that is flowing and she hears the religious Jews that are coming by the cross and mocking her son and she hears the Roman soldiers mocking and she even has to sit there and watch as Jesus is on the cross struggling to breathe. His bones are out of joint and He's naked and He has to watch. She has to watch as the Roman soldiers gamble at the foot of her dying son. What she must have been going through. And as she's standing there, she would have looked up at her son on the cross and and she would have perhaps remembered back to when, when Gabriel came to her. And Gabriel told her that she was going to conceive and he said this to her, that Jesus would be called the Son of the Highest. And that God would give unto him the throne of his father David and that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever and that of his kingdom there shall be no end. And now she's standing at the cross and she looks up and she sees those words. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. All that she pondered in her heart for 33 and a half years. All that she was thinking about would come to pass. All she had been told that her son was somehow going to sit upon the throne of David. And now, how is that going to happen? He's nailed to a cross. And he's dying a sinner's death. How's he going to sit on a throne now? These are four great women. They're standing with Jesus until the end. They were there when all but one disciple had fled. All the disciples fled, but one came back. 80% of those mentioned here are women. Which I guess means 80% of the men had fled. Cowering in fear. Don't ever underestimate the spirituality of a woman. They're not weaker in faith. I might can do more push-ups. They're precious followers of Christ. And women often are setting the example for us men. It breaks my heart every time a husband leaves a woman. Who do you normally see left over in church? The wife. Hanging on to some sort of spirituality and hope. All because some creep wanted a younger model. I thank God for a mother who loves the Lord. I thank God for my godly wife. I wouldn't be up here if it wasn't for her. She is truly my crown. And now while Mary is beholding this sight, notice what Jesus says to His mother in verses 26 and 27. When Jesus therefore saw His mother and the disciple standing by whom He loved, He saith unto His mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith He to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Isn't this great? We find Jesus here at the end of his life, and he's making sure that his mother is taken care of. And that's a whole other message right there. But I'll tell you what Jesus is doing is he's keeping the fifth commandment. He's honoring his parents. We can surmise from this that Joseph would have passed already. And I'll say more about why this man was chosen in just a minute. But what we see is Jesus making sure that she's going to be taken care of. You see, Jesus fulfilled all the law. He never faltered once. He was perfectly sinless. I realize the day may come I'm called upon to care for my mother. And as long as we're able, we're going to do that. 
to take care of her properly. I realize there comes a point where they need more help and we can give, but that's a prayer request. You pray for me because my mom's insane. She is crazy. <laughs> yeah, we love her, but she, it's not even she is crazy. She's crazy. <laughs> she's crazy. I know she's watching right now. I love you, Mom. <laughs> she killed me at risk because you can't predict what she's going to do. I mean, she, anyway. Now, listen, I, I know this is probably going to ruffle some, but I've got to take time to address this. These two verses have been completely twisted by the Catholic Church. And I'm not being ugly. They've taken Jesus' statement, Behold thy mother, to John, to somehow mean that as Mary was there beholding Christ on the cross and, and watching over Him there, that she is now in heaven watching over the church. Pope Paul VI said of Mary that she is, quote, the blessed mother of God, the new Eve, mother of the church, continues in heaven her maternal role with regard to Christ's members, cooperating with the birth and growth of divine life in the souls of the redeemed. And again, I, 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 I don't want to be offensive, but I want to be truthful. Just because she was the mother of Jesus does not mean she's the mother of the church. Amen. There's a lot we could get into right here, but just suffice to say for now that she's not our advocate, she's not our helper, That's right. she's not our benefactress, and she's not our mediatrix. That's right. She was certainly an extraordinary woman, and she was highly favored by God. She was very blessed to be able to bring Jesus into the world. But despite what the Catholic Church teaches, she was also just another woman who needed a Savior. She was not immaculately conceived without sin. She was not perpetually a virgin. Listen, if she was, I think we need to start paying more attention to Joseph and give him some credit. I mean, I'm not going to go there, but imagine, hey, we got married, but we can't have sex the rest of our life because I've got to remain a perpetual virgin. Well, I need to pat Joseph on the back. So... On top of all of that, what, what, what they'll teach is that she lived her life without sin. They even say that instead of dying, she was caught up to heaven, both body and soul. When Jesus looks at Mary, He doesn't say, Mother, behold thy son. But He said, Woman, behold thy son. For one, I think we can imagine how painful it would be for Mary to hear from the lips of her dying son, Mother. But more importantly, he wanted her to realize, if she never had before, that it wasn't just a son on the cross and a mother on the ground, but it was a Savior on the cross and a sinner on the ground. He was dying for her too. She doesn't intercede for us. We don't go through, through her in prayer. In fact, the Bible says, and how in the world they get around this, I'll never know. For there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He wants her to see past the emotional loss of her son and see the theological truth of her Savior. Obviously, Jesus could no longer care for her. He can't be the breadwinner. And His words, what He's saying here with His words is He's just transferring responsibility from one to another. And to try to make this say anything beyond that is to do a great injustice to the Word of God. And in fact, what we find it has done is it has caused blasphemous teaching. I say that because I'm your pastor I'm not looking to fight with any. I want to reach the Catholics just as much as I want to reach the Baptist. 
Now, I want to close by considering the last person who's mentioned here standing at the cross. We know Judas Iscariot defected and he sold out our Lord, which only left 11 disciples with Jesus on the night of His betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane. And after Jesus was arrested, all the disciples forsook Jesus and fled. We know Peter ended up following the Lord afar off and as the trial was starting there, some were pointing out that he was a Galilean and that he had been following Jesus. And when he had denied the Lord three times, the rooster had crowed the second time and Jesus looked at Peter and Peter broke down and he bitterly wept. And he's not mentioned again until after the resurrection. Out of the eleven remaining disciples, we are only certain that one of them came back to the cross. We read in verse 26 that along with these women, there was one disciple with them. John, the one who penned this gospel account, is not mentioned here by name, but he would refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's what we find in verse 26. So what is it that made John come back and be with Jesus while he was on the cross? Well, I believe it had something to do with the fact that he understood he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Let that sink in. He knew he was loved. Well, doesn't Jesus love all his children? Yeah, he sure does. But I want to tell you this morning that there are some in here that are going to cultivate a closer walk with God than others will. There are some that are going to get a little bit closer. There are some that are going to have a more intimate walk with Christ. John 13, 23 says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. Just the night before, before crucifixion, the night before as the disciples are gathered around the table with Jesus, we find that they are arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. But there was one who didn't. There was one that was leaning upon Jesus' bosom. They're too concerned about who's going to be the greatest. And John doesn't have to be worried about that because he's over there fellowshipping with the greatest. Whoop! There was only one who wanted to get just as close as he could with God. And don't you know, as John was leaning upon the, the chest of Jesus, he could hear the heartbeat of God. I want to tell you, there's a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. Amen. Yes, Jesus loves us all, but some will choose to be closer than others. Out of all the twelve disciples, John had cultivated a more intimate and closer relationship with the Lord than all the others had. There were a lot more disciples than twelve at one point, and you'll find over there, I think it's in John chapter 6, that when doctrine got a little bit difficult, they all left. And what you'll find as Jesus is approaching closer and closer to Calvary and the shadow of the cross begins to fall upon these disciples, you'll find that there's less and less until there was none left. Their numbers just kept dwindling. You see, they were fair-weather disciples. As long as it was going good, we'll be there. You know, there are some that attend church and if they're not here, I know something's wrong. There are some that attend church and I know something's wrong. Did you catch that? I mean, there's some, I know you're not here, I know something's up. There's others that come in and I say, what's going on? What's wrong? Not here when it's going well. 
Is everybody okay? Did it just get tense up in here? All right, because I was about to go camp meet and preach in there for a minute. The problem is this. Many just try to work God and church into their schedules. But you see, God is not to be someone who revolves around your life, but your life ought to revolve around God. Don't be an every now and again disciple. Draw close to the Lord. John made the most of his time with Jesus, and you can be that close to Jesus if you want. The truth is, listen now, the truth is all of us are as close to Jesus as we choose to be this morning. And if you're not as close as you know you should be, then draw near to here, uh, draw near to Him because here's what He promised. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. We need to learn to spend more time with Jesus than we do with anybody else. He's worthy of our time. I said He's worthy of our time. He's worthy of our worship, our adoration, our praise. He's worthy of us giving Him glory and honor. And I don't know about you, but I want more than a form of godliness. But I want to know the power thereof. I don't want to just come in here and check a box. I don't want to just come in here and say I went to church. I want to meet with God. Not just on Sundays. Amen. It's amazing how some can be impacted today while others won't even pay attention. You know what the difference is? Those paying attention, they're over there leaning on Jesus' bosom. But the others are so full of the world that they can't even hear what's being said. Now because John had cultivated this intimate walk with God, we find him standing at the cross on crucifixion day with his Lord. We don't find doubting Thomas. We don't find boasting Peter. And you're not going to find fair-weather disciples at the cross either. It's just too difficult. They don't want to go through it. But we, we see that there was one who came back, and it was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I want you to understand this morning that, that when you know without a doubt that you are loved by God, when you know that, and there's no doubt about it, it will help you in every circumstance in life. Everyone. Your perspective will change because you know, wait a minute, I'm not really liking this, but I know that my Heavenly Father loves me. And can't you just imagine this day at the cross as John is standing there. Some are walking by that saw Peter the night before. And they're probably saying the same thing to John. Aren't you one of his followers? Didn't I see you with Jesus? And I can hear John at this point saying, yeah, I sure am with him. And I'll tell you this, I'm nothing without that man up there on the cross. He's everything to me. He's bleeding for me and He's dying for me. He's paying for my sin. No cross was going to make John turn back. Listen, what's going to keep you going when the going gets tough? How are you going to press on when everybody else is living in fear? It's going to be when you learn you're a disciple whom Jesus loves. Why? Why can I say that? Because 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Man, when you know you're loved by God, it removes fear. I can trust if He wants me to get COVID, that's His will. And in fact, it has been because I had it. And listen, we can trust in those things. I love Brother Muller to death. I kept telling him back then, stop showing up to church. Guess who's sitting back there now? 
You see, when you know you're loved by God, you trust God. Amen. You trust Him. And you know that whatever befalls you is of the Father. We find here that John was rewarded for his faithfulness and closeness to the Lord. We see in verse 27 that John got to serve in a way that others never got to. Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Not even one of Mary's own children got to do this. But it was John who got to take care of the mother of Jesus. You know why? You know why John was chosen? I want you to get this point. It's going to be deep, amen. You know why John was chosen? Because he was the closest one. He's the only one there. Are you getting this? We're going, to, we're going to drive this home here right now. John was chosen by Jesus to do Jesus' work because John was the one who was standing closest to the cross. If you'll hang around Calvary, God will use you. God's looking for servants today. And what God is going to do is He's going to reach for those who are nearest. God doesn't call lazy men. He's going to look for those that are serving, those who are closest to the cross. And if you want to be used by God, and I hope that you do, you have to be close enough to the cross that you can hear His voice when He speaks. If you aren't already close to God, if you aren't leaning upon Him, if you aren't spending time at the foot of the cross, then God isn't going to use you like He's going to use those who are already living nearby. People say, boy, I wish God would use my life like that. You know why God's using that life? Because they're living by the cross. Amen. And you got one foot in the world. Be that disciple whom Jesus loves. Know that He loves you and never doubt it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, that's just a children's song. I wish we'd start singing it again. Because I know He loves me, I can trust God with my life. Are you by the cross today? Do you need to draw closer to Him today? Let's pray.